RT Lab was created with the intention of helping bridge the gap between the various healthcare professions. My name's Amy. I'm a registered respiratory therapist. Some of you may know me as Breathe Easy from Instagram and YouTube. Over my time on social media, I've seen that the biggest cause for this divide is that we don't know enough about what each other do. So let's try to fix that. Stick around to see who our guest for this podcast is and let's get into it. All right, everybody. Thanks again for joining RT Lab. I have with me today Christian from C Money RN. You guys can find him on Instagram and YouTube. Hey, Christian, what's going on? Hey, Amy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm. Th- thank you for coming on. I mean, I know you're super busy with the hospital and everything you've got going on with all the social media. Um, can you kind of tell us, give us a rundown of where you're working in the hospital, what you've got going on? a little more information about your YouTube and whatnot also? No problem. So uh, my name is Christian Cervantes. I'm a registered nurse based in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I'm local. I currently work on an intermediate care unit, which stands for IMC. Or if you're not familiar with that, we also go by step-down ICU unit. So we're one level below ICU and one level above a regular ward, such as med surge. So right in between. The types of patients that I deal with here at the hospital that I work at in particular is more cardiac specialties. And uh, the ratio, I would say it's about a three, it's about a four to one ratio, sometimes five, if we're very short, but we try to keep it as, as, um, as small and concise as possible because the acuity of the types of patients that we deal with on a day-to-day basis is pretty high. And we're dealing with special, special cardiac such as nitroglycerin, amiodarone, heparin drips, the a lot of the fun stuff that you can name up. <laughs> right. And that's one thing I think is interesting about IMC as well, especially right now in the era of COVID. I know that a lot of hospitals are really busy or running short because of asking people to retire and whatnot. Um, IMC is the special place in in my mind. This is how I always think of it. They're not quite sick enough yet to be in ICU, but they're not healthy enough to be on a med surge floor. So it's kind of that limbo where they could kind of go either way, depending on you know their disease progress. So it, it ends up being a very, at least in the RT world, and I'm sure in your world as well, it ends up being a very, very busy floor to be on. <laughs> Exactly. And you know what, um, Amy, the way that you described it is actually perfect. So we're pretty much that middle ground. So if you're going from a med surge unit and you're thinking, you know, my patient's not looking too good. We're like that transition unit. So sometimes you may not, you know, there are times where you jump from a med surge to IC right away, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, what we're trying to do at the hospital, what we're trying to accomplish is a transition So if they can go to IMC, which is that middle ground, and we can help recover them, help them become healthy on our unit, then maybe we could eventually just discharge them or put them back where they came from on med surge without having to go to ICU and to utilize all those other critical resources if it's not necessary. So it's more of a last resort if they have to go to ICU. Right. Absolutely. The the ratios you guys have are interesting as well. And you guys do a really, really good job at kind of juggling and bouncing between patients to make sure they get to where they need to be. Um, So 
can you tell us a little bit about your nursing journey? You've got a lot of stuff going on because I've been following you on Instagram for a while. And again, you know, we're both based out of Las Vegas, but neither of us work together. So it's kind of funny how uh, social media kind of pulls people together. But I know that um, you've got some exciting things coming up in the nursing world. Tell us a little bit about that if you're comfortable. No, yeah, no problem. So um, if you want to follow me on social media, uh, my Instagram, my YouTube, which details and documents my whole nursing journey and also what I'm what I'm doing right now. It's called C Money RN RN as in registered nurse. So if you want to follow me on both platforms, that'd be fantastic. Right now, I'm actually uh, in an interesting transition period. Right now, next month, I actually start my new career in the ICU, same hospital, but a promotion to a different unit, which I'm totally not yet used to, but uh, I'm looking forward to. And I'm also going to be beginning a nurse practitioner school next month. So I'm juggling these two new, brand new things that I'm totally not um, adjusted or prepared for just yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And I guess you were asking me about my nursing journey leading mm-hmm. up to all of this. So any nursing journey, Amy, is uh, is never without a struggle. Um, I graduated high school back in 2011, and from 2011 to 2018. It's been a seven-year odyssey. I've been working hard to pursue my nursing degree. I I completed a lot of my prerequisites in California, but when I realized it was too difficult in California to pursue nursing because of how many people wanted to do it, I decided to make the jump to Las Vegas with my family, where I attended school here, and I took additional prereqs and I've, I've encountered a lot of failure, actually. Something that not, not a, people, a lot of people know about me is that I actually failed out of a nursing program before. So mm. I, had, I failed out of a nursing program because it was very difficult at first. But I knew in my heart that I wanted to become a nurse. I got back onto the horse. I reapplied to a different school. And in 2018, that's when I fully earned my, my bachelor's in nursing. So That's amazing. And I think that that's the most important thing is showing that drive and that motivation and passion for what you want to do. And honestly, it sometimes it's just about being in the right place at the right time also, you know, and it kind of got you to where you're at today, getting into the ICU already, going to MP school. You've got a lot going on. Yeah, the way I see it is like, you know, you struggle so much to to earn your degree Mm-hmm. But you all, what you also have to think about once you reach that finish line, there are so many open doors to you. I know that it took me a long time to get my degree, but ever, but after I became a nurse, there were so many opportunities, so many um, chances to, you know, promote myself to, to really succeed. And I'm, I'm pretty much reaping all the rewards from all the struggles. In yeah, the past. I'm. I'm with you on that for sure. Everybody's timeline is different too. You know, I didn't get into medical until I was 28 or so. I'm 30 now, but you know, it, there's no perfect timeline and it obviously is working out very well for you. You're getting to do so many amazing things that sometimes it take people a lot longer. I've heard of it taking people years to get into ICU after starting to work in the hospital. So you're on the right, you're on the right path for you, you know, for the direction you're going. Thank um, you. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of like jump back a little bit to working in IMC. Also, what has that been like for you lately? And 
let's uh, talk about kind of like hospital relations, especially like in the new COVID area era. No problem. So in terms of IMC and COVID, I believe any, any nurse can kind of tell you it, it is such a struggle. I believe COVID started, it started getting worse in around January, picked up in February and March. Mm -hmm. But for me on my unit in particular, IMC, COVID has changed the landscape tremendously. I'm talking, we've, we just converted half of our unit into COVID. So wow. I know half of our unit is COVID. And so when we go to work, we're either, we're given an assignment, either we're going to come into work, taking care of regular IMC patients. And those are the ones that, you know, I've talked to about, about cardiac and and procedures such as that, and so on and so forth. But also there are other days too, when, when they really need you, they're going to put you into a COVID assignment. And the COVID assignment, similarly to an IMC assignment, we are much more higher acuity compared to a med surge patient. So we mm -hmm. still have a balance. As of right now on IMC, the, the ratio is, is still about four to one. Mm-hmm four to one or three to one. And we, tr and our director is trying her best to not push us out of that ratio, because when you get to go to a higher ratio, it becomes to get a little unsafe oh, because absolutely. of the amount of level and care that these patients need. Right. And, um, that can definitely be a struggle, especially on honestly with COVID, because even though we have learned a lot since all of this started really picking up, um, you know, we still have so much more to learn about the process. I was thinking back to, um, I was actually working in our COVID ICUs the, the last like four or five nights. And I was thinking back to the very first day and the very first uh, person we had that came in with COVID and just how much things have changed. And I realized that it really has only been five months maybe <laughs> since since it really hit us hard anyways, only five months and we've had all of these drastic changes. Um, so when those, those ratios start going up and we're still learning, it can be a little bit precarious. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult, but which also kind of leads me into the, to another point is that when you have such a heavy workload, when things are getting very difficult to adjust to, whether it be your med surge, IMC or ICU, what it boils down to ultimately is the teamwork. And if you have a good level of teamwork with you, your staff, and it's not just me and nurses, you know, I have to have a good relationship with my CNAs, my physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, and especially respiratory therapists. I feel like the relationship between an RN and the re respiratory therapist is especially as important more now than ever, because the amount of communication between you and me when we're taking care of these patients with COVID, it's mm -hmm. the deciding factor whether or not they're going to recover and get out of it, or they're just going to decline and get worse. Oh, 100%. And I think that that's something that I found really interesting. Um, of course, RNs and RTs are, have always worked closely together. But during this pandemic, it has been a whole nother level, especially on all of the floors, because for us as RTs, we, our specialty generally tends to be in critical care. So depending on the type of floor that someone works on, they may not be as familiar with us or what we do. I know with some of our, 
even some of our med surge floors have been converted into COVID units. And I would go up there when they would be having issues with something. And some of the, some of the nurses would tell me, they would go, wow, I didn't know you guys knew this stuff. I didn't know you guys did this. And I'm like, yep, this is, this is what we do. This is our bread and butter. You just, you know, we just haven't been able to work with you in this capacity because you haven't had these types of patients before. Um, and especially on the IMC, because you guys are, you know, like we were talking about before, kind of that, that factor of which direction they're going to go, whether they're going to be downgraded and discharged or whether they're going to need a higher level of care. So we've seen a huge increase in the usage of RTs, especially on uh, IMCs. Exactly. And you know what? I also think about the increased amount of supplies and, tr- and breathing treatments that are also uh, needed for COVID patients. Uh, we're getting to a point here in Las Vegas where we're beginning to run out of important supplies to you, the RTs, the heated high flow devices, mm-hmm. the um, the, vento- the ventilation systems, all of that. It's the number of COVID patients has increased so much that we're beginning to have a hard time having enough of these needed respiratory supplies for an, for all our patients. And so as of right now, we just have to be very on point. We, we got to treat the patient as much as possible before they have to need a higher level of oxygen. If we can improve their oxygen levels and also improve their rates, their, their depth of breathing and all of that early on before the COVID gets worse to these patients, then that's going to be a, the deciding factor. Yeah, absolutely. And something I was telling someone the other day, because we needed something done for a patient and that we felt was right. And sometimes you really have to advocate for your patients, even if you know it's right, you need to be able to, you know, present the case accordingly so that a physician understands where you're coming from. And I was talking with the nurse that I was working with that night and we got what we needed for the patient. And we were talking about how basically when nurses and RTs team up, especially when it comes to patient advocacy, that that is a pretty strong, a pretty strong team because the, we were talking to the physician, they're just like, okay, you're right. And we were both, you know, stating our cases and why we felt we needed certain things. And um, anytime I've approached a physician as, you know, a team with an RN and an RT together, talking about our perspectives of why we feel that, you know, a, a care plan needs to be changed in a specific way, it usually ends up going pretty darn well. <laughs> right. And that communication, like you said, super important. It, when we're deciding whether or not a patient should be upgraded or downgraded, it's a conversation that needs to be done between the nurse, the RT, the physician, the intensivist, and even the charge nurse or director. Um, typically on, on my floor in particular, IMC, we begin to question whether or not the patient requires ICU services when their oxygen requirement increases like steadily high. So let's say, um, as you can relate, if a patient is on a heated high flow, maxing 80% and above, but yet their their saturation, their oxygen O2 sats is less than 90, then we begin to have a conversation. We're saying, you know what? Eventually this patient may need to be intubated. So maybe we right. need to get this patient on ICU sooner now than later before this patient deteriorates. So right. the sooner we make this decision, the sooner we kind of look at the patient as a whole. You know, they could be breathing fine today, but 
looking at their levels and the amount of oxygen they need, it can kind of also predict like, for the future how their outcome is going to turn out, especially if they're not able to be weaned down. Those are some great points. And I think something interesting about um, this whole scenario with the pandemic is there's been a lot of education going on. And I'm kind of a giant nerd, so I love educating and I love talking to people about respiratory in general. And one of the things that we were doing a lot on our IMCs is the awake proning or self proning for the patients and just, you know, teaching patients about it, talking with the nurses about it and why we're doing what we're doing and seeing such amazing outcomes from that and being able to really help patients progress and some even being able to be downgraded just with simple things like repositioning in a very specific angle. And it, it, it's always so funny because it sounds so silly when you tell someone, you're like, no, just, just trust me, just roll over on your stomach and I'm going to tilt your bed up. They're like, what? You want me to do what? And then you do it and they're like, oh my God, I can breathe so much better. <laughs> yeah. That's something that we definitely have been, in, been doing a lot more in, uh, at my hospital too. I know in ICU, uh, proning is becoming a regular thing mm-hmm. on my unit. Uh, they began to introduce it as they get downgraded from ICU to IMC. The intensivists, the doctors, they would order, have the patient self prone every hour during the day. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the results are tremendous. You know, it, it's as simple as repositioning. It doesn't have to be medicine or increasing their oxygen requirement. Things such as proning are just so simple that, you know, it it involves the patient and also at the same time, it's something that's non-invasive and it's something that actually works. It's not something that's going to hurt. It's actually going to do more good than harm. Something else I wanted to talk to you about, just because there's been a lot of changes on IMC in general, have you heard like any, what are some common misconceptions you've heard about IMC or working on IMC? So common misconceptions that I think about when it comes to IMC. There's some patients, there's some people out there that kind of compare IMC apples to apples to IC, like we're the same, that um, how come we're not able to play around with certain medications such as levofed, but in reality, that's what kind of differs between an IMC and IC, an ICU unit. It's the, it's the special types of medicines you can really work with. And mm-hmm. also another common misconception is that, you know, we're able to titrate so many different medications, IV drips, but in reality, IMC is actually limited. Our our specialty is limited to where to where we could only titrate or move up and down a medication by a certain level, or sometimes um, a medication has to be at a fixed rate. So I think that was that's really one of the big differences between an uh, an IMC and ICU unit. And um, I'm trying to think of if there's any other misconceptions I could think of. Uh, and I think that makes sense, though, because if you go back to, you know, ratios and acuity as well, you're going to have more patients. And when you have patients on things like levofed, you need to be able to watch them very closely to see if things need to be titrated or moved or, you know, once once they get to that point, they need to have more attention on them, you know, uh, which is why if, even in the ICUs, they have one to one ratios or uh, you know, maybe two patients max. Um, because at that point, you know, it, 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 like you mentioned earlier, it becomes a patient safety issue. You can't have that many patients with a super high acuity level needing that close of monitoring when you have that many patients, you know? 
Yeah, and you know, it's some something else that also people think of when they hear IMC. They they kind of think of it as like an easier version of med surge. Like we're still taking care of med surge level patients, oh, definitely not. <laughs> but it's a decreased ratio. Definitely not. I mean, half the time when we have these rapid responses in the hospital, when they're going for med surge, they come to our unit IMC because mm-hmm. they have to start medicines that they are not allowed and trained to do. So when people tell me, you know what, we you have it so easy on IMC, you know, you have it such an easy ratio this, that, or that, like, I kind of just think to myself, I don't laugh at them, like, directly, I just, I just think to my head, you know what, you have it all wrong. IMC is not easy. Right, it's kind of like a grass is always greener on the other side, right? If they if they can't see it from your perspective, or what's really going on in those units, then it, it's very easy to just, you know, say, oh, your ratios are great, or that's easy, or, you know, whatever, when they, they don't know the, the acuity or what's going on. Because I will tell you, when I work IMC, at least at my facility, I always end up running most of the night because I'll have IMC along with maybe a couple of other floors that are within the same area. And if there's a few patients that are teetering on the edge of needing to go to ICU, that can make for a very, very, very busy night. And like you said, many of the emergency responses either come to those floors or occur on those floors since it is that kind of intermediate floor. Exactly. And you know, the cool thing too about IMC is that since we are technically a critical care unit, when we call the rapid response team, we are the rapid response team. You know, oh, any, any, one of, any one of us can come in and help. You know, sure, we still have an ICU charge that comes in the floats to it. But we're mm-hmm. practically, we're the rapid response team. Everyone on the unit stops what they're doing. We have designated roles. Um, if it does lead to a code blue, knock on wood. We do have an assigned <laughs> CPR person. We have an assigned um, recorder. We have an assigned um, go-getter, someone that has to run back and forth to get the supplies. It's it's a lot of teamwork. And yeah, it's very organized as well. It's very organized. And I'm really blessed to work on a unit that has that amount of communication and teamwork. Mm-hmm. And that, that's interesting because each hospital is a little bit different. Like I heard you say that the ICU charge nurse goes to um, all of the, the emergency responses or the codes. And I know some hospitals work like that. And I kind of forgot because at my hospital, we have a full emergency response or rapid team, basically, where we have a designated uh, nurse and then the RT lead or supervisor goes to everyone. Then, of course, you know, the, the RT assigned to the area and RTs roam around a little bit. So if we hear an emergency response or a code, you'll usually have four or five RTs that show up just in case. (laughs) Oh, I love the RTs. And it's so funny too, whenever we have those rapid responses, it's like you have a room full of nurses and then you have like pretty much all the RTs and even the Mm -hmm. students that work with the RTs, they all come into the room like running and ready to work. And it's like, wow, you know what? It's like, um, this is amazing. We have so much help and support right now. Hey, I mean, that's what it's all about is teamwork, right? And like I was saying earlier, you know, critical care is kind of our area. And if, if it's a if it's a emergency response or rapid response that's caused by a respiratory issue, which more often than not nowadays it is, then we know that we're probably going to need maybe one or two RTs depending on what's going on. <laughs> exactly. So we, we are ready and you guys are always there to, to back us up or we're backing you up either way, you know? Oh, definitely. We... Nurses love RTs. 
the I feel oh. like our relationship it's is important now than ever, and we got to be nice to each other. <laughs> I can't <laughs> right? think of a, I can't I can't think of an instance where we have nurses or RTs, you know, going at it. I'm sure there is, but uh, I totally respect you guys and your profession. Yeah, and same here. I mean, neither of us can do our jobs without each other. We we all have specialties, and when we work together, it just makes it um, that much better for patient outcomes, basically. Um, I know that, of course, just like anywhere else, you're going to you're going to hear about uh, different departments arguing or having issues. But what you the rumors you hear, things that have happened in the past really should have no weight on what you personally are doing, you know, and you've got to be that example for up and coming people in the medical field. Um, Things are always changing. And there used to be that concept or that idea of, you know, eating their young. And that occurred both in nursing and in respiratory. And I think the newer generations of people coming into healthcare are really striving to get rid of that old mentality. Right on. So I just wanted to really quickly thank you again, Christian. I figure that's probably a good note to leave it on. Is there anything else you want to add or let them know again one more time where they can find you on social media? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much again for having me. This was an awesome experience. Um, to all of your your viewers and listeners out there, Amy is an incredible respiratory therapist. And you don't know this, but behind the scenes, we always ask each other questions about, you know, how's everything in the hospital? And if there's any any time I need advice, you know, Amy and her Instagram page or YouTube page has been an incredible resource for me as an RN. If you guys wish to follow me and if you're interested to see me and in me pursuing my ICU and my new nurse practitioner journey, definitely uh, check out my Instagram at CMoneyRN and uh, follow my YouTube channel too. I do plan on starting a YouTube series documenting my entire nurse practitioner journey from day one orientation to graduation. That is amazing. And thank you so much again for coming on. I can't wait to see all the stuff you're doing. And I will definitely have a million more questions for you in the future, like I always do. (laughs) And I'll have a million more for you. (laughs) All right. Thanks again, Christian. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of RT Lab. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at rtlab.podcast to stay up to date with the most recent episodes we'll be coming out with, as well as following us on whatever listening platform you're using to keep being part of this conversation. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time.